0: Hey, good afternoon, Crossroads friends. It is Thursday, February 16th, 2023. Thank you for joining us uh, this afternoon as we continue in our studies, as we continue into Romans. Romans chapter four, verses one through six. Just to recap a little bit about what we have gone over in review. We talked about how men, all of mankind, is born in sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter three, um, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jew and Gentile and Greek alike, everyone has fallen short. Paul has, like a, a great attorney. He has proven his case over and over uh gentile and greek they refuse to recognize who god is as creator and therefore god has gave god gave them over to depraved minds to the to the wants of their lusts and so he just gave them over and into those desires and they and so god took his hands off and here they go you know that's a form of God's wrath, too, by the way, that we see when people just refuse to recognize and worship God because he is worthy of our worship. And then he turns around and he says, but you, oh Jew, you, you practice the same things. You do the same things. You sound like you're religious. God has given you all these oracles. He's spoken to you through special revelation. He's given you the, the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, as we know, the law. And all of those things point to and are pictures of what leads to the Messiah. All of the sacrifices, the blood sacrifice, the sin offerings, all those things that are in the law, God gave those to the Jews. And the Jews were to be a light to the nations, the Gentiles, okay? And so with that said, all these things we see that Paul is summarizing his arguments and he's saying that that no one is good, no, not even one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in the in the manifestation, the revelation of what we see here with the law and the prophets, and all those things point to the Messiah, the Savior of the world in Christ Jesus, that all men have that hope and the righteousness that bears out through Christ Jesus. All of that was witnessed through the law and the prophets. And why Christ, when he came, and he gave himself as a public, everyone, see, and everybody recognizes that, even passed down through history, Christ gave himself as a propitiation for our sins. And I talked about that the last time and, and as a matter of fact, I did a two part lesson over propitiation. Basically, the Ark of the Covenant. When the when the high priest would go in once a year and, and the day of atonement for the sins of all the people of Israel, and they would sprinkle blood over the mercy seat. That's where blood was was, was sprinkled over that and the Shekinah glory, the, the cloud that came overhead, that was, was the presence and the glory of God looking down. God did not see the sin because it was covered by the sins that were sprinkled over the mercy seat. Propitiation. It has its root, the root word in that, in mercy, mercy seat. And think about what Christ did. Christ is not only the Lamb of God. He is a great high priest who advocates for us. He is a great defense attorney as he stands before God the Father, and he steps in our place, and he stands before us, and he pleads our case, and he is the one. Everything falls on him, all past, present, and future sins, they all fell on Christ, they all fall on Him and so the one who believes, God is just asking us to step forward in belief and to live out this out. The practice of our life, the walk of our life, the very circle of our life, everything should revolve around Christ in our speech and our conduct. That's what we're talking about here when we're talking about what Christ did. And so Paul turns his attention to now in Romans chapter 4 and he talks about how the how we've been made right justified we have been made right and you're going to hear this phrase as I continue through Romans you're going to hear this phrase constantly I was saved from the penalty of sin I was saved from the power of sin and I will be saved into the presence and out of the presence, into the presence of God and out of the presence of sin. Let me clarify that. I want to make sure I say this right. I am I am saved out of the presence of sin and into the presence of God. That is our hope. You know, in the South, I live in the southeastern United States and there's a church on every corner. I dare say a lot of the communities of every various Denomination that are out there. So everybody has a recollection or a certain knowledge that Christ Jesus died for their sins. He paid the penalty. I could not pay back to God what I owe him. It all fell on Christ Jesus because I want to be in his presence one day. But you know what? Something as we get into this, this is really cool stuff here. God's saving us from the power of sin. Not a perfection, not a sinless perfection. Not that, but that he is saving me from a lifestyle that I was in and I'm not practicing that lifestyle anymore and I'm pursuing Christ and everything is grounded in Christ as I go through this. We have been made right. So right here, what we see here is I am saved from the penalty of sin. I am I am saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin and I will be saved from the presence of sin and into the presence of God, all right? That come, we'll get into that as we go through this really rich stuff and it's good stuff. I'm gonna be covering verses four, Romans four, verses one through six that I have on the board here. Paul uses a couple of examples, Abraham and David, and he talks about them at length here in Romans four. And so Abraham is a fascinating study of his life. It's really good as we go through this. But let's go ahead and read here. Paul talks about with what we've said here about the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus for all mankind, Jew and Gentile alike. We see here, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned or brought in agreement or reconciled is what this means, reckoned, as a favor, but as what is due. What you work, that's what you receive. What you work for, that's what you're going to earn. But what we owe to God, we could never repay. We could never work it off. Because my life and my heart is, is the most wicked and deceptive of, above all, as Jeremiah writes about, and I'm paraphrasing that. And then even Isaiah talks about that our works are like filthy rags, and that's, that's the description there is very, it's very ugly. Okay, there's nothing good in me that I I could never work off because I'm I'm my starting point is already off. Okay, it's corrupt, it's it's deceptive, uh, it's it's just off. It misses the mark, so I'm already off the mark. So there's nothing I can do to make win back this perfection with with God. So that's why Christ came, and that's what that's what uh Paul is talking about here with Abraham. He believed God. And his life began reflecting that. Now, it was a journey with Abraham. If you look at his life from Genesis 12 to when he passed away, and I believe somewhere around Genesis 25, 27, somewhere around there, those chapters, lengthy, talks about his biography and his life and how he begins. And he gave his life to the Lord, and he believed. And God said, hey, he believes in his heart. I'm I'm putting this as righteousness on him. It wasn't anything Abraham did. God saw it and he placed it on him. These are gifts that God gives. All good things come from God. You know, Jesus, when he was out and he was he was doing all these miracles and he was teaching, and people were mesmerized. Man, who this guy, what is who is this man? And somebody says, Hey, good teacher. And all of a sudden Jesus turns around and says, because in the in the in in the Jewish traditions and culture and lifestyle and conversations you didn't call anybody good, so he so Jesus says, "Why did you call me good?" because anything good came from heaven in the Jewish mindset, so therefore all good things come from God. James tells us that the good gifts bestowed upon us come from the Father who is in heaven so so here we are, but Abraham, he's believing God, doesn't know exactly what all is his journey. He leaves the, what they call the Ur of Chaldees, and he travels north a long journey with his family, and along the way his father passes away, and he has his, his wife Sarah, and he has his nephew Lot with him, and so they journey, and they continue this journey into Canaan, And so uh it's the it's gonna be the promised land and so forth. And so he just believes God's called me and I'm gonna do this. And he left a world of idolatry. He left that and gave that up. And Abraham had they were a wealthy family, and so he gave this up to live in tents and to just sojourn and move around like he did. Uh just it's incredible what he did. And he did this as he believed God. Now we we will we will see as we look at Abraham's life his life wasn't perfect he didn't get it all right you know and think about the journey that you may be on as you've given your life to Christ that doesn't mean that hey it's going to be a an easy journey God, it's a process in which God is working on us in i've seen that in my life it'll be it'll be 42 years this coming march 1981 I became a believer in Christ. Well, guess what? Along the way, the Lord has taught me many lessons uh, in that, in being a, 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 a young Christian, uh, getting married, and being a young Christian husband, and being a young Christian uh, father to my children, and 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 the things, the processes in which God puts us through, and we, and He works on us, and He makes us where we're at, and He brings us along. It's all a journey and a process in which God works with us on as he's moving us, and, and he is perfecting us. He is perfecting us and working on us. So anyway, this is, this is really good as we see this, as we continue on. Let me finish verses 5 and 6. Uh, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Now, let me tell you something. When God forgives, that means there's the part on the person who's forgiven. I'm gonna turn from my wicked ways and I'm gonna pursue Christ, all right? That's lost in our world today. That is lost. A lot of people just think, hey, God will forgive me. I can just keep moving on and I can... Do whatever I want. No, there's a change. There's a change in a person's heart—the heart, the seat of the emotions, the personality of that person. God will do a change and bring about this change in somebody. Matter of fact, what does Jesus tell the woman who's accused of adultery that they're that the Jews bring forward and are wanting to stone? And Jesus says he 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 pretty much tells them, "Hey, if you don't have sin, hey." Cast the first stone if you don't have sin. Well, they all were like, they were convicted right then. They dropped their stones, and he says, hey, look who's standing around. Nobody. They've all gone. Let me tell you something, young woman. Go and sin no more. That means do not live a lifestyle of sin. Uh, The apostle John talks about this at great length in 1 John. Great place to start reading right there when he talks about these things, about the the circle of our life, the practice of our life, how we live, how we live for Christ, how we live for him and pursue him. That's what is talked about with the apostles, that our lifestyle is not reflecting that, that we are being changed. That's what Paul's talking about here with Abraham. And listen, Abraham was old and he reached a point of maturity. I mean, even as an old man, you know, he was very immature at the age of seventy-five when he started, when God started this this process of working on him, and how he had made this covenant with him and all that he worked through with him. You know, he he had a long way to go, but oh my goodness, how far Abraham came. And it's really good as we as we will study this and get into this. I'm I don't want to jump ahead of what's what's we're talking about here. But yeah, you know, Christ his work at the cross, what he did at the cross, and what Paul talks about as far as the word justification is basically this: Christ makes sinners right, standing before God the Father. We are declared right before God. And it's nothing I did. I just came to this point. I recognized my sin, and then I recognize that it all comes on Christ, and it all falls on Christ, and it comes to Him. And so he took the payment, He paid the penalty for what I owed to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that. And so, so that's how we are made right right there. I'm trusting and believing in that fact. What happened over 2,000 years ago at Calvary, at the cross? Because you know what? there's one guy, there's one guy who died at the, at the, um, at the cross, also, those two thieves. There was one, he died in his bitterness and his rebellion, and he never recognized God for who he was, and then all of a sudden, that one was like, hey, we're getting the just due for what we did. This man is innocent. He is not guilty of what he did. And then he, he recognized he was God in the flesh. He was God, and he came down and dwelt among us, and he says, hey, please remember me when you enter your kingdom. And he's, and Jesus makes a declaration present time, real time right there. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, that guy recognized his sin. He recognized who he was. Now I'm not going to make a blanket statement. I've, I've worked in jail ministry and and in, in juvenile centers and things like that. I'm not, you know, there's that people talk about a jailhouse religion. I'm not going to go on and make claims or anything like that, but I do know this. At that point in time, when people recognize their sin, hey, Christ is there to forgive. And you know what? Forgiveness comes, and God's asking us, hey, turn away from that. Recognize that. Make that recognition right there of who God is, and that he's worthy of our worship, and only he can take away those sins here so we see these these Abraham and David talked about here and 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 um Paul uses Abraham more exclusively he just makes a, a reference to David here uh has has David wrote about these things and um, as a matter of fact I went into verse 7 there verse 8 says blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account it's it's put away it's put away it's covered It's canceled. The debt is canceled. Remember when I talked about that with the credit card and the cash? Cash cancels uh, debt. Credit card only covers debt for a time because it's got to be canceled and everything. Well, guess what? The blood of rams, bulls, and goats, it covered sin. But Jesus Christ came and he canceled sin. He canceled the debt of sin. Yeah, you know what? These men—they looked forward. They were looking forward to that day. They knew that 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 you know the sacrifices that they did before the Father that um, only it only covered their sins. They knew that. They knew all that. They were looking forward to that day when the Messiah was coming. We look backward as New Testament believers. Those Old Testament saints looked forward. We're looking backward. Okay, we're looking backward to that day. When it happens, hey, let's, I didn't put this up here, but Genesis chapter 15, verse six, we see this where where God, he, he speaks to Abraham and he tells him, I'm gonna make a great and mighty nation from you, a nation. You have to have people, you have to have a family. You have to understand, Abraham's 75 years old. Sarah is 65 years old, no children, they're barren childless and yet God makes the claim he says to him he says I'm going to make a great and mighty nation from you he says that in Genesis 12 Abraham hitches up the wagons and here they go they leave they take off they leave and then he does it again he says hey I'm going to make a great and mighty nation from you and he says your descendants in Genesis 15 verse 5 is where I'm at. I'm reading this, Genesis 15, verse five. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Numerous, myriads upon myriads, your descendants shall be. Spiritual descendants that will come, that will come from you, those who believe in me. And then it says in verse six, then he, he believed in the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. And he, a Yahweh, Yahweh, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is nothing that Abraham could do, nothing at all. This is God's plan unfolding, and he's going to use Abraham in a great and mighty way. When he does this, this is what happens here. This, and then we can look over at Genesis chapter twenty-six. Genesis twenty-six. If you're watching this on YouTube, I will have these references in the um, in the description of the lesson here. Genesis chapter twenty-six, verse five. You know what? You know Abraham and Sarah had the one son, Isaac. Sarah passes away, Abraham becomes a widower, but he he remarries, and he has several more sons after that. That's, wow. I mean, the writer of Hebrews talks about his body as good as dead, old. He was 100 years old when Isaac was born. He waited 25 years. Faith, friends, faith. I'm trusting in him. Now, there was a soap opera in between all this, okay? And we're seeing the consequences of some of this today. We'll get into that a little bit. We're just, we're going to talk about the faith here of Abraham. And look here, it says, it talks about how Abraham was with, it says in verse four here of, of uh, Genesis 26, verse four, and I will multiply, multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and give your descendants all these Lands and by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Man, yeah. Now that's with Isaac, okay? But that, but that's that's what that's what uh, Moses, as he's writing Genesis, he's talking about to Isaac, Isaac, and and to those who follow because Abraham passes away in in, uh, Genesis 25. Here he's talking about the kind of man Abraham was and he's passing this covenant along. All the nations will be blessed by this. Yeah, I'm blessed because of, of the faith that Abraham had. And think about it, Isaac, his son, Jacob, the grandson, and then the 12 tribes, the great-grandsons, you have the, and then you have the nation of Israel coming forth here. And I find it interesting today that, you know what, up until about 1948, really Hebrew was considered at one time a dead language, a lot like Latin. And now look, look, look today, look at it today. You can go to Rosetta Stone and you can find and learn Hebrew now. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible coming back like that and everything. But that's for another discussion also and everything. But, but yeah, we see that. We see this. And and so, you know, you can't, you can do all the religion. You can think, hey, I'm, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. That's not going to get it. You cannot keep the Ten Commandments because the minute you break one, the first time it's over. There's no redo. There's no do-over, as these young people would say. That's not the case. You're not going to be able to do that. You can't. Once you've broken one, the, it's it's all shambles. All right, the whole thing is ruined. I've used this illustration before. My wife has a has a pretty little dec, dec, decoration or a decorative, uh, however you want to say that, uh, of a china set that she has on the wall in her kitchen, and. And you know what? I remember somebody broke something, and I'm not blaming one of my children. I may have done this. But you know, it kind of ruined the whole set. She had to rearrange everything, and it ruined it. It ruined the whole set. Same thing here. Once you break one, it's the commandments or one of the or, or the law. Once you've done that, there's, somebody's got to step in and fulfill it. And that's what Christ said he did in Matthew. He said, hey, I didn't come to abolish the law or put it on a shelf. I came to fulfill it. Bring contentment between between the law and, and God and men to bring that together. He did that. You know what? When we read the word reconciled or reckoned, it's put to our account. We are credited with that. The New American Standard uses the word credited or credits. In, an, in, in accounting, it means you are putting that to someone's account. Okay? You are placing it in someone's account the work of God outside of me, okay? God is doing this work and he's putting it on me. That's how people are made right when people recognize that. We have to recognize our sin and recognize where we're at before a faithful God and a holy God and a perfect God and and a righteous God. Jesus Christ brings us together as we talked about with propitiation and how that all works together for our good and everything. Please look at Romans chapter 3 verses 21 and 22. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been revealed. It's come, been pulled. The lid has been taken off and it's brought out before us and we can see it now. It's been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles and Greeks, the barbarians, everybody. It's for everybody. It's not just for a certain group, of people. it's for everyone. No distinction, no distinction. When it comes to the cross, everybody's at the foot of the cross, the rich, the poor, you know, whatever you want to say, everybody of all classes and all persuasions and everything, when we come to the cross, we're all there at the foot of the cross. We are. We are. And that's what—that's the change, the transformation that God does in our work, in, in, in what we do, in, in how we live, in our walk, everything about what we do and how we live our lives. Let's look, at, uh, let's look at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to be reading verses, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 20 and 21. This is how we know this all plays out and how God all, he who knew no sin fell upon him. It all fell on him. And here's how. Here's how, as being ambassadors, as the one whom we represent. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, ambassadors. In other words, I should be, my life should be reflecting the very image of God. I should be reflecting Christ in everything. You know, this shirt I have on, is Tennessee Titans, the football team, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, if I were a coach, a lot of coaches will wear these, people who are on staff, who work for the, the, the uh, Tennessee Titans, they're going to wear this and it's, it's their, they represent the Titans. And I'm sure that one of the things that people want to do when you wear this type of gear, you always want to be able to, I want to give a good representation, and, and, my, and my integrity should come out, and my reputation should come out, and it should be reflecting good things on that, that organization in the same way If I say that I'm a Christian, my life should be reflecting Christ because all of my sin fell on him, and I recognize that. And so my life should be recognizing Christ and what he did for me at the cross of Calvary. To be reconciled to him means we've been brought into agreement with God. John tells us that as we we make confession to him, when we confess our sins, and we're always confessing our sins, it's a continual, active, repetitive thing that we do. When we are confessing our sins, we're we're actively doing this. We are in agreement with God. Yeah, I recognize my sin. I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I fall short constantly. And you know what? One of the things the Lord works on me about is has been dealing with me about it, is whatever I say, I always I always want to say things that are up that are uplifting, encouraging that are um, motivating and stimulating people to growth in Christ. That's what I want to see with people is, is is in their faith with Christ. If they make claims they believe in Christ, I want to see them grow in that faith in Christ. That's, that's a big deal to me. And I don't ever want to say anything that's offensive to people, but if sometimes the truth is offensive. But how I say that truth, I want to speak it in love. Paul talks about that to the church at Ephesus as well. When we get go through this and everything, God gives the gift of grace. He's the one who does the work. God is we our response to Him and the work that He has for us and how we live. That's what we see. Uh, that you know He's we must understand that He is the cause of our salvation, and we are that effect of that. We are the effect of that cause that He is doing. In and through us. You know, I think about, I think about, I'm going to go to Ephesians right here, real quick. Ephesians chapter 2. And I think about some of the passages that I first learned when I became a believer in Christ. And I look at, uh, this was one of the first ones, people uh, who mentored me and discipled me. And in Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, verse 10 is the, is the, it's the one that clinches it, seals the deal. When we look at this, for by grace, the gift of God, it's gift, God giving this grace. You have been saved through faith and not that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. I think about a carpenter. You know, Christ coming from a a carpentry family, stone cutter, uh, how how he and his father, how they worked and he grew up that way. We are his workmanship. He's doing this work in us. It's not me pulling myself up and thinking, hey, I can do it. It reminds me of the cheerleaders at at our high school basketball games when I played that would say, you can do it, you can do it, you can, you can, you can do it, you can do it, you can. No, when it comes to salvation, it's him who's doing the work in us. He stirs us. His spirit has taken up residence in us. He's making himself at home in us. And the good works that I do, it's not for me to pat myself on on the back. It's the good works that, hey, God is is calling me to do this and I want to do it. There's a desire. There's a love to do that. I want to be involved in that. And God is doing this work in us when we we come come to this fact right here. And he's created us to do these good works. And he's prepared them beforehand for me to go in and walk. And my walk, it's, again, actively, continuously, and repetitively doing these things and walking in these ways that God would have for me. The circle of my life, my daily life, how it should be and how I live for him. That's what we're talking about when we're getting into salvation and what it really means. It's not something we just put on the shelf. It has a beginning beginning point a starting point and this is the way in which I walk that's what Paul is talking about here and let me tell you something I won't just say this one time I'll say this several times as we go through this in Romans it's it's repetition is learning that's how you learn as we go through this so let's let's look at Galatians chapter 3 verses 6 through 9 here as we go through this and we look Because I've learned this, the letter to the church at Galatia that Paul writes, it's a great uh, back and forth reference in Romans, all right? They they are great cross-references to one another, both of these letters are. But Paul deals a little bit more with the Jews that are there in Galatia, Asia Minor, and he's talking to them more about this is you got to understand what what salvation is really about here, and so he talks about he talks about Abraham at length about being um, being a son of Abraham, and so in in Ro, or Galatians chapter three, verses six through nine, here's what Paul writes. He says, "Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned credited. He was brought into." brought to be reconciled to him as righteousness not Abraham's righteousness god's righteousness on him god's righteousness on him therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that god would justify the gentiles the greeks the barbarians the nations is as the other word that could be used here for Gentiles. by They are justified by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. They are blessed with him. Brought in there. You know, think about this. You owe a debt you are helpless now somebody steps forward with authority and power and wealth they step in and they pay this insurmountable deficit if somebody did that i would feel a sense of awe and reverence and i would be very it would be very humbling it would be a sense of humility that would come over me if somebody do that i would be so grateful i couldn't say thank you enough See, when I recognize what Christ did at the cross, it makes me recognize I can't make myself right before God. Christ is the one. It just makes me realize what he did. The the physical abuse that he took, the flogging that he took, the scourging that he took, before he went to the cross as he was there humiliated, just naked on a cross in that humiliation. Son of God, God who gave up the royalties of heaven, came down and dwelt among us and died for our sins, died for me, died for you, died for the sins of the world. How he came and he gave himself for us. That is incredible when you think about what God did for us. Christ Jesus, God, God and what he did and how He, what he went through and has he paid for, for that. You know, it. Your, baptism does not save you. It doesn't. Baptism is an act where you are showing to people, you are telling people when you're there in the baptistry at church and you're about to be baptized, It's a picture. It's an illustration to all the people that are seeing this publicly. I am a transformed individual, and I will continue to be transformed. And you are dead and buried in the trespasses of sin. And you are raised up to walk in the newness of life. Your identity is now in Christ. Faith. Faith. Abraham and David, they were longing to see the Messiah. They were longing. They knew one was coming. We look back at that point in time. We look back to see the Messiah and what he did for us at the cross. Our identity is in Christ. And we'll talk about that more too. Baptism doesn't save you. Um, works, doing good things. That's not that's not the that's maybe a barometer, but that's not the basis or the foundation for your salvation. It's all rooted in Jesus Christ. Christ our Lord. Let me finish with a simple illustration. Let me tell you this illustration. Back in back around 1992 uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide storied football heritage and tradition. Nobody I think will ever eclipse what they've done especially what they have done now in the last 15 years with with college football and the national championships that they have won. But there was a time where the people in Alabama were not satisfied with how their football program was going. And they had a fine man Bill Curry who was their coach. He loved the Lord, he was a Christian and he loved the Lord. Their athletic director was also somebody that I I knew and he he had a he had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ also and and uh, Alabama wanted to let those those men go, and they they hired uh, Gene Stallings. And after two years, I think Gene Stallings in his third year, it was ni- the nineteen ninety two fall football season. They went undefeated in the um, in their conference. They went undefeated in the season. They were eleven and 0 They won their conference. Uh, the conference uh, title game there was a, the, there was actually a, a championship game for the the conference title they won that game they were so they were 11-0 regular season 12-0 and then they're going into their bowl game they're actually underdogs in that game and they go in and they just they I think it was the Miami Hurricanes they beat them bad they just wore them out it was just incredible to see and after the game at the at the, the post game press conference Alabama the 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 press the the college football coaches association both of these polls that they took there at midnight or whenever the game was over they both declared Alabama was the national champions well after the game Gene Stallings he takes the podium and they ask how does it feel to be you know national champs with Alabama and and you know, man, what a great year, Coach! You did a great job. These players really rallied around you, and 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 man, you just you just had an awesome season. And this is the first thing that I think it says a lot about 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 these men. And when he was asked about this, he remarked, he said, "Bill Curry, the coach who I stepped in his place." Bill Curry actually recruited these players to Alabama. He invested long hours with these young men and their families for a commitment to Alabama football. I just happened to receive credit for Coach Curry's energy and hard labors. That's a paraphrase, but that's pretty much what he said. What an incredible statement of humility. This man's rightfully the national, the, he's, he's rightfully the coach of the national champion, Alabama Crimson Tide, but he, he decides to give credit to someone else who invested long hours bringing those young men to Alabama to play for the Crimson Tide. Abraham is an example. There's nothing, he, can, he has nothing to boast in. There's nothing for him to boast in. This is an example of God doing all the work to bring this all together, God's plan. All he is asked to do is to obey and follow in God's path and what he has for him and for his family. Sometimes Abraham got in the way But God made the way. There were consequences, but God made the way. You know, I believe there's a proverb or a psalm. I need to check this out for the next lesson. But it talks about how it talks about how the mind of man plans his way, but God directs his steps. Think about that. Think about that. Everything we should be praying through and guiding, guided through, everything we should be looking of God and pursuing Him and coming after Him. Let me read Hebrews. Let me read from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The very essence of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Man, this is going to be great study here because, I mean, let's boast in Christ. Let's boast in Christ. Let's boast in the salvation that we have that is in Christ Jesus. If you're watching this or listening to this, my hope is that that if you're if you're disgruntled and dissatisfied and you have a lot of malcontent in your life and you've been looking for ways to satisfy and soothe this bitterness that may be in you, you turn your life to Christ, recognize your sin for who you are before him, recognize recognize that only Christ Can pay for that sin, and walk in His ways, and take a Bible and start reading First John. Start reading it, reading it, because man, we see right there. John talks about all that he saw, all that he heard, everything that he held, according to the Word of Life, that is Christ Jesus. I, I please, I ask you today to do that and to look at that, and be with us as we continue through this study here as we look at the book of Romans, and the lessons that are there that Paul guides us through as we see as we're made right before him. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you as you guide our lives, direct our paths. May we keep our eyes on Christ, pursuing him, praying, and and just coming after him in all that we do. God, thank you for this time. We lift up the name of Christ, the name above all names by which men must be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Search the scriptures daily uh, and with great eagerness. Be noble-minded and don't take my word for it, but search God's word and what he'd have for you. May the Lord richly bless you. Maronite.